Garçon, coffee. Welcome to the Coffee and Death Sticks podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. And we are branching away from our Zack Snyder reviews. And now we have branched into a new segment where we are looking at anniversaries of movies in 2021. This one's a little bit more fitting because not only is it a uh, 25th anniversary of this particular film, but it's also a a holiday movie in a sense. Uh, And we are looking at Independence Day, also known as... ID4. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this one is not one that we hold in the same regard as Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's an interesting movie to talk about for its history in terms of being a blockbuster and when it came out. And I'm curious to discuss like how people talk about and remember this movie, which I think is different from the actual movie. But So a lot of different things to touch on. We'll briefly probably talk about the sequel, the surprisingly okay sequel independence day resurgence but before we get there danny independence day independence day uh this is a movie that i saw on television pretty soon after it came out so i was a little kid and i saw it on television around the fourth of july it was on amc i think i've seen this movie i think i think i've probably watched it every year since because it's part of like my fourth of july you gotta watch independence day i love this movie it is one of the dumbest films <laughs> ever made. This worked as an epic sort of white knuckle, oh my god, this is so serious, alien. And the drama in this movie worked until I was 10. Then for a while it was like, oh, this movie keeps getting worse and worse. And then it kind of came back around where I learned to appreciate that it's it's just such a childish, not immature, it's just a, it's a very childish, simplistic cartoon of a movie. I love it. I know that it's there are people that love it, there are people that hate it. I totally get both points of view. But yeah, this is this I've been watching this movie basically as long as I've been watching stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It wasn't until I was a, a couple years older that I was like, oh, there's a huge difference between Jurassic Park and, and Independence Day. That's actually a good talking point right there that you just said Jurassic Park. We're completely stealing this from Red Letter Media, which I don't, we yes. don't really like. We just like allude to it. So anyone who's listening who is not familiar, you should definitely check out Red Letter Media's content on YouTube. They're just tremendously entertaining film critics, comedians, whatever you want to call them, uh, where they have a bunch of different shows. You know, they have like a traditional review show that's... They mostly play it straight, but it has, like, ongoing funny storylines. And one show where they watch terrible movies and, and, and rank them to old, terrible movies, and that's a good one. But the one where they, I'm thinking about specifically, where they talk about Independence Day, they also have a show called Review, where they look at, like, one specific movie from years past. And they also have some commentary tracks and stuff. So Danny and I are both huge fans of them. Shocker that we have a shared... Uh, a shared interest about movie critics. But anyway, one of the members of Red Letter Media, Jay, said that he looks at Jurassic Park as sort of the end of the smart blockbuster, where, like, you know, for the 20 years before Jurassic Park, there were, you know, mostly George Lucas and Steven Spielberg contributions to having one or two, three movies a year were excellent, well-done, blockbuster, crowd-pleasing movies that everybody loved but were also like well reviewed and would even get oscar nominations and you know jurassic park is definitely spielberg's last big summer movie that was like a smash hit also a critical success 
so that came out in 1993. Independence Day is 1996. You said it's a, it's it's bad. I mm. think it does a pretty good job of masking its badness, though. I, I think the, it does a great job of masking. It is one of the most. It's a terrible, terrible film that most people don't would never be like. That's not. A, what are you talking about? That's a classic. That movie's a classic. Exactly. Um, it, it does. It does a very. It does a really good impression of a Spielberg film, which is what exactly. it is, and what Roland Emmerich's whole career is basically is an impression of Steven Spielberg in a more crass way than say J.J. Abrams. Sure. It's he's just shameless. Like it's. They both want to be Spielberg, but one of them obviously is a lot more talented and and clever and smart and creative than than the other. Yep, so this comes out three years after Jurassic Park and Yes. And it's just like, oh well that's that's this year's summer movie. It's starring Will Smith when he's about to get huge. It's I guess this is probably when he gets huge. Like, this is like off. this yeah. this stretch in the in the late nineties where essentially like the summer belonged to him this is exactly. this kicks off you know independence day men in black i, I can't i'm blanking on i think it's wild like, wild west i think that was the one that kind of but yeah. you know i mean th- this is this movie is similar to how we discussed how harrison ford became a movie star mm-hmm. because of Rage of the lost ark will smith became a movie star because of this movie he was Definitely. already like incredibly famous obviously for his his music career and for Fresh Prince, but this is when he became like, you put him in a movie, the movie's going to make money, um, which is still sort of true, but definitely he lost his his star power recently. But this movie kicked that off. Absolutely, um, he wasn't part of the marketing though, which no. is interesting. It's just in hindsight, you know, that the tapes and the DVDs, his face is always prominently featured on the back or on the spine. Like in hindsight, they were like, oh, we've got a movie. This is a this is a movie star. But at the time, I think he was, it was just Emmerich wanted famous people in, in the role so that you could identify that's Will Smith. That's Jeff Goldblum. Cause no one calls these characters by their character names. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I don't know either of them without, I, I have a tab open right now. I could not tell you either character's name. I know Jeff Goldblum's name is David. And that's yes. only because of the way Harvey Firestein says yeah. it. But I, I promised before the podcast, I would not do an impression of that. David, David. David, talk to me. We to David. But that's how I know that his name is David, because Harvey Firestein shrieks it throughout a huge portion of the film. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god, I gotta call my brother. I better call my housekeeper. I gotta call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. I don't he's know. only in it for parts of it. Yeah, it's the, it's the first David, Harvey Firestein, Will Smith, the president. The, the current like the, 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 this is one of those movies where no one you never learn their name i don't know brett, brett spiner brett exactly yeah <laughs> jeff goldblum's uncle like you, you not uncle uh father jeff goldblum's judd hirsch's character everyone is just yeah, referred yeah. to by their actor names or by their role in the movie that's the defense secretary guy because it's a movie made for children that can't retain information <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned the marketing already. I wanted to get to that later. But yeah, there was no need to market this movie on Will Smith because this movie was marketed on the destruction of the White House. Exactly. It's like, it's such a known image at this point. Like, it's the poster, it's the trailer moment. 
it's the moment that everybody remembers. And at this point, in t- it was before 9-11 or anything like that. So it's it a more like innocent time. Yeah. So it wasn't like considered taboo or anything like no. that, but it was just like a striking image. And I think it looks great. You know, the yes. visual effects for how they executed that shot looks great. So I think when people look back on this movie, they think it's, oh, you know, it's one of Will Smith's first big movies. Like we just said, it's a movie where they destroyed the White House. The visual effects are great. You know, one of the earlier success successful movies where the aliens are malevolent right like i think i think those blockbusters in that era if we're talking about him being a spielberg imitator you have et and close encounters so yeah so this this movie's kind of like the anti close encounters i guess in a sense it's like all the horror of that but then it comes to fruition it's Uh, very simple hg wells stuff the aliens are here and their sole purpose is to exterminate all life again super simple yeah um, yeah. we, they just want to kill everybody. And they even look like the H.G. Wells... How, how the H.G. Wells aliens are typically drawn or portrayed as sort of big-headed tentacle monsters in, in contraptions. The the White House scene is rightfully a, sort of famous. It is fascinating. This is, you know, Clinton's president. He had a very lighthearted approach to being president. So the idea of blowing up the White House wasn't like this big controversial thing it was just like oh that's so cool like wow these aliens mean business basically the statue of liberty no the statue of liberty survives mostly but it's like all these iconic buildings are incinerated and it was just people cheered people thought it was awesome yeah the statue Um, of liberty was saved for the day after tomorrow poster danny right that's what i'm I'm forgetting (laughs) the other wall and emirate disaster porn movie that came out that's right years later i think there's, there's, there's a shot in this where the statue of liberty is like a little beaten up as like and it's like silhouetted against the destruction of of New York City or whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's like it's this is like that original sort of disaster porn blockbuster. But I think what a lot of people forget and I think this is because this was a movie that I think was mostly consumed via television or as the movie that was on at sleepovers. Like I don't think yes. a lot of people watched this movie actively unless you're a scholar of this film like i am who has studied it (laughs) every year and taken copious notes the moment the destruction finishes the movie like even for the movie takes a nosedive in 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 quality and pacing and in the story the the strongest part of the movie and it's the part that i think everyone remembers is the build-up to the invasion to the to the destruction once Definitely. everyone's once everyone's in Air Force One, it gets noticeably uh, dumber and noticeably more sort of like simplistic and and filled with sort of the kind of plot holes that you notice like the second you're done watching them. Yeah, and it's like how did they let that? So yeah, it, I think I think this is a movie that has a reputation, but isn't. I don't think people really watch it. <laughs> That's a really good point. I don't know how else to phrase it. I think it's a movie that I think this is part of why it heralded. It, you watch it very passively. It's just you sit there with your popcorn and watch it, and then it's over. But there's really nothing left to. There's not much there. Yeah, it's the movie that's on over Independence Day weekend. Yes, it's like on AMC yes. and it's on TV, and it's like oh, and if you're passively watching it, like you're saying with your family, it's like oh, here's the part where the you know the White House gets destroyed. Here's the president's speech. You know, here's Will Smith yes. on screen. So here's I where think he you're... punches the alien and says, "Welcome yeah. to Earth." Like these are here's where Randy Quaid flies a. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think in the interest of sanity and time, let's just not even talk about Randy Quaid in this movie. That's well, like a it, whole other treatise. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I gotta quickly segue and say, right before we started this, Danny mentioned that it was uh, nice that there's like no one who's ended up who ended up becoming awful uh, involved in the production of this movie. But there's one. There's one we forgot about. <laughs> but he, I mean, he's just nuts, though. Like he has. He's just nuts. That's true. He hasn't really hurt anybody. Like. <laughs> A lot of times in the movies we've talked about, there have been people that off-screen are, are pretty monstrous people. Randy Quaid is just bananas. But I don't think he's hurt anyone. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. No, I think you're right. Other than the feelings of his, uh, the feelings of his brother. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. He, he's just, he's just, he just has become, uh, Cousin Eddie in real life. Like, he just no is. No kidding. He's just, he's just nuts. But, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a pretty sloppy movie, but I just think collectively people... It's people our age who have fond memories of watching it as a little kid, and then they revisit it. I think a lot of people revisit it and go, oh, this movie isn't very good. You contrast that with a movie like Jurassic Park that I also watched a bunch as a little kid, and then I would rewatch it as an older kid and be like, oh, this is really good. Like, that's a movie, you know, I think that's the thing. This is a movie that drops in quality the older you get compared to the older, smarter blockbusters that improve in quality. Back to the Future... Raiders Lost Ark, Star Wars, Jaws, Close Encounters, E.T. Like, these are movies that, as you get older, you appreciate different aspects of them. They hold up as films, like, on a filmmaking level. This is very, very 90s. It's like, oh, I can see why I liked this when I was eight. But, like, not right, much to right. sort of enjoy as, as an adult. Yeah, like, when we were kids in the 90s, Jurassic Park was the dinosaur movie, and this was the yes. alien invasion movie. Yes. But, like you said, you watch those now, and you know, just how great those three central characters are in Jurassic Park that we can name all three of them right now, you know? Exactly. Uh, unlike, well, exactly. unlike, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I'm even blanking on Bill Pullman's name right now. President, you know? Uh, I think it's uh, President Whitmore. That's the it. way James McLaughlin it. says it. President Whitmore. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, There you go. You are a Which scholar like, of this film. Oh, I've, yes, I'm, I'm insufferable about it with my <laughs> friends and family. <laughs> but... Yeah, like you mentioned this a little while ago, it Independence Day has a decent setup. The first twenty oh, minutes yeah. or so, like I guess if you're saying Bill Pullman, Bill Pullman, Will Smith, and uh, Ian Malcolm, I can't think of his real name now. Jeff Goldblum, uh, if they're the three central characters, you kind of you get to know them a little bit, and, mm -hmm. and you think they're getting good character arcs. Like yes. Bill Pullman's the very young president that isn't taken seriously, and he needs to grow a backbone. So at least he, he sort of had an arc that was developed like, and, and came true, I guess. Sure. When the aliens, the metaphor kind of hits you in the head with the alien yes. invasion that he gives an awesome speech for at the end. Which is and an awesome speech. It is that, a great that, speech. That's, that's a good speech, I think. It is a great speech. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Again, there are, there are so many moments in this movie that are ingrained into people's memories. At the movie as a whole, though, it doesn't. It's, uh, oh, I can't think of the phrase. It's not the sum of its, it's less than the sum of its parts. Is that the yeah. phrase? Yeah. Yeah. There's all these moments for me. I mean, I think that's a big reason why Jeff Goldblum kind of became the sort of meme internet thing that he's become in the last 
10 years because that's because in the last 10 years people have gone online and gone into pop culture and in the world having grown up on independence day and jurassic park like he was like a huge part of people's that's that guy but yeah like in this movie he, he he likes to recycle and so him saving the world from aliens is him saving the world like i think they're trying that's kind of what they're going for with his arc like he always yeah. wanted to do something with he. I think. Well, he's, yeah, and that he's an under he's an underachiever. Underachiever. Um, that he he went to MIT, right? His MIT, MIT, and he works at a cable company. His his dad calls him a, a cable repair man, basically. <laughs> his his wife left him to work for and the she's president, the chief of staff, or whatever. She's yeah, the chief she's... of staff slash uh, press secretary. She's all the characters on the West Wing in one character. Yeah, because yep. again, for a little kid, you just you just need to like. For a little kid, the president's office needs to be kind of like streamlined. She does everything. She's his assistant. She's a, she does every job almost. It feels yeah. like. And yeah, he learns to to overachieve because he saves <laughs> because he inputs a computer virus into <laughs> an, an alien spaceship. Yes, he brains down the alien invasion with Microsoft Windows. Uh, well, and that's all. This movie is also the height of. Although Jurassic Park's a little guilty of this too, is uh, hackers like. When no one knows what computers are, so it's like, yeah, Jeff Goldblum went to MIT and he knows what a computer virus is. So the yeah. uh, Deus yeah. Ex Machina of this movie is going to be him going it's, into a spaceship and putting a virus in. Him and Will Smith in a cockpit and Jeff Goldblum's typing, and like he has to type faster, and that'll beat the aliens quicker. Like it is, it's really, really, really dumb. And Will it's Smith's dumb. Will Smith's arc is he wants to join NASA, but he keeps getting denied but then he does get to go to space after presumably all the astronauts are dead and they just need he has seen them fly so he's the one guy that can uh fly the ship into space so that jeff goblin can upload a virus however they don't just upload a virus they also have to blow the ship up <laughs> which right. which again that's a movie thing that's sure. absolutely a movie thing like you can't just end it with the ships like to reference red letter media again mike stoklasa the other primary red letter media guy loves star trek and there's a star trek episode where they also could have easily just uploaded a virus and left it as is but then for no reason the ship the bad the bad guy's ship blows up so that's a movie thing but it is stupid where it's like i cleverly figured out a way to disarm their defense capabilities and also we're gonna nuke them (laughs) yeah it's 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 dumb well I'll, i'll make another reference there to imitating spielberg that's uh similar case with jaws in the book it just ends with jaws finally just dies from all the barrels yeah and you know they knew spielberg rightfully so knew that wasn't a very satisfying ending so instead we could smile you son of a bitch and this is the thing you have so many filmmakers who are like well this is what spielberg did it's like yes but right there's something spielberg has has very good taste he's an incredibly classy director he knew that they engineered a way the barrels don't work and so it becomes this desperate it's only in that last few seconds where Brody's like oh maybe if I shoot the tank I can blow him up like he's just he's just desperate he's like sinking into the water it's like it's his last shot basically that's why that works uh, this is just we need a clever idea because we want to make it clever but we should also just blow it up too and then all the other ships you, you have this ending that's basically an excuse to do Star Wars yes 
um, which also makes no sense. But obviously, Roland Emmerich loves Star Wars, so he wanted to kind of do a version of Star Wars. They even use similar dialogue in that, and all the dogfighting scenes. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I can't shake. Like, it's it's shameless. And <laughs> and how many sort of better movies this movie rips off? But you kind of don't notice it. It's it's such a cleverly disguised uh, ripoff movie that it, for it's, sure that people don't kind of. Th- I don't think people think of it like that. Yeah, I think it. I think it moves. It's something. Rise of Skywalker was guilty of it. It kind of just jumps from plot point to plot point so quickly that I think regular mainstream audience just yeah. sitting in a theater, their brain can't process how quickly they're moving on from yes. one step to another. So, like you said, they're cleverly hiding the stupidity of the movie. The music's uh, great. The music, yep. The music goes to a much better movie. So you're like, well, this music is terrific. So this movie must be, this movie yeah. must be worthy of this soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, and I think the only obvious glaring dumb thing that i can think of is the dog <laughs> i yes i can't dog. really remember anything else that i guess vivica fox being like the most cliche storyline ever being a stripper yeah um, it's, but it th- could be like a south park joke like yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's very on the nose those are the only two that i can think of that are just like in your face stupid everything else is you have to kind of like think about it afterwards yes um, like the other, the other very famous <laughs> dumb thing that you again you you don't really notice it as it's happening is the all the chess comparisons. Right. Like it opens up with um, is it Jeff Goldblum and his dad? Right. They're Jeff chess. Goldblum and Judd Hirsch are playing uh, chess in Central Park, which classic is classic imagery the, there. Classic, yeah, literally like on that that spot in Central Park where everyone plays chess, and uh, to show that he's really good at chess. And then make all these analogies that later. It's like, oh, that's what the aliens are doing to us. They're playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> They're setting up all their pieces yes. to attack all at once. It's like, that's Which is not, not how chess That's works. not chess. Oh, it's like in chess. First, you strategically position your pieces. Then when the timing's right, you strike. See? They're positioning themselves all over the world, using this one signal to synchronize their efforts in approximately six hours. The signal's going to disappear, and the countdown's going to be over. And then what? Maybe like Tratigo or Risk. Maybe yeah. that would have been a more apt comparison. And you play uh, chess with someone who's like can maybe play back. This is just aliens exterminate an entire planet. Like again, but it's to give the impression that oh look how clever he is. He's so much smarter than his basic yeah. job because it's his idea about I'm gonna give the aliens a cold. Like he, it's that kind of. It, it seems so smart when you're eight. You're like oh my god, he's so clever that he picked up on that. But, like, it's really, really dumb. It's, But it's not dumb in, like, an insulting Michael Bay way, at least for me. I don't find I, it, I like... I would agree with that. Yep. Like, I don't get the sense that when Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin wrote a line like, oh, you're a genius, so we'll give him a cold. Like, I think they genuinely thought that was pretty clever. Like, I don't think that they were like, ha, we'll just put whatever. And Like, I don't think they were trying to just... I think this is the best they can do. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're maliciously being like, who cares what we put in the movie? Just have the cows come in and eat their popcorn and watch our stoop. Like, I get a sense that they genuinely believe that this is what a Spielberg... I think they. this is the best... This is their best attempt at making a smart blockbuster. That's just... That's my... Opinion. I think you're right. I think I think they expose themselves as pseudo intellectuals. I yes. think is what happened. You know, yes. it's like 
They could put a they can put a movie together. They they know what mainstream audiences generally want. But I think if you look at Roland Emmerich's career trajectory after yes, there's subsequent like, films. Yeah, damn, like considerably. Th- this was like this was his best effort at the disaster movie, yes. and and they generally speaking have gotten worse. Although Independence Day Resurgence is possibly better than this movie. I don't know. That that might be a little outrageous, but it, it's not Independence Day Resurgence. All I only bring that up now to say it's it's better than like the day after tomorrow. Or yes. I never saw is it ten thousand or thirty thousand BC in twenty twelve and. These are all, all of, awful, yeah. awful. Now, Dean Devlin isn't involved in all of them, but he's also gone on to make movies like Geostorm, where the oh god, the, yep. yeah, it's, it's so it's like they, they they think they're blockbuster filmmakers with a conscience, and they make these really like insulting right movies about this. Yeah, so that in hindsight, their subsequent movies make this movie look worse. <laughs> yes, yeah. in hindsight, it's like oh wow, these guys are are hacks that have no idea what they're doing. But at the time, I think they were just like we we tried our best. We wanted to make a big old-fashioned alien invasion movie. I don't agree with people who say like oh well it's supposed to be dumb and silly because it's like those uh, 50s B movies. The 50s B-movies aren't dumb and silly. They they're just, not. They just look dated because they were made in the 50s. But yeah. they're not actually dumb. I mean, some of them are, obviously. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, obviously, is just... Oh, right, right. But, but, but if you the, compare this to, like, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Just like any Ray Harryhausen movie. Like, yeah. They're, they're just dated-looking. This isn't like those movies at all. This is very clearly a Spielberg, Star Wars sort of hodgepodge. I think people use the 50s B-movie thing as an excuse to explain why the movie doesn't hold up. And I get a sense that a lot of the people that say that have never seen a 50s <laughs> never seen a 50s sci-fi B-movie. I think they just think like, "Oh, it's supposed to be cheesy." It's a it's a weird one. This is like a very weird and and because it didn't spawn endless sequels, it didn't spawn like you know, the, the sequel came 20 years later. Yeah. It it's, felt kind of earned. Yeah, it, it feels a little sort kind of, of. Kind of. It, all, it, also, it feels less... I mean, say what you will about Roland Emmerich, with the exception of Godzilla. Every movie he's made has been his own idea. Like, he made it because he was interested in making it. Either he wrote it, or he worked very closely to kind of shape the tone, or he took a script and, you know, ruined it. <laughs> but it's all been like, I want to make a movie about something as opposed to he's not necessarily like chasing trends necessarily like who wanted to see a the shakespeare movie like (laughs) it's a conspiracy thriller about how shakespeare didn't write shakespeare like he just seems interested in certain things and then he makes a movie about it so he's unique in of big movie directors in that sense which is why i think i give him a pass and have a soft spot for him but he is i mean he's an awful like he's, he's his movies are terrible but I just think this movie had such an effect on people at such a young age that he's kind of rode on the... He's made a whole, He's like M. Night Shyamalan. He has a whole career based on the strength of one movie that isn't particularly, mm-hmm. that isn't particularly good right. to begin with. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we have similar soft spots for him to bring back uh, as we do Zack Snyder. Like, they just seem like they make the movies they want to make and they, yeah. seem, they seem earnest. Whereas, like, you sure. brought up Michael Bay, who just seems like a, you know, he, he's just movies, a hack, and he seems like a miserable yeah. person, you know? It's, and it's, it's just interesting, dumb. because Michael Bay is a better 
like his movies look better. Like they like he's he technically is is pretty sure. efficient, but yeah. his movies are just he's such a nasty person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He exactly. has such a low regard for like humanity that his movies are very difficult to watch because they're just so like crass and insulting. They're as stupid as a Roland Emmerich movie, but Roland Emmerich is you know, he's an immigrant and he he like loves American like he's just such an interesting it makes it harder to sort of hate them with the same energy as you would like a Brett Ratner movie or a Michael Bay movie. Where That's the, Brett Ratner is another the, good one. The director yeah. themselves is kind of repulsive, so it's easier to just shit on the movie more violently. Right. Well, go, going back to our what we kind of how we started this is, you know, Independence Day was a watershed moment, a watershed mm-hmm. film. It's not as bad as some of these other movies or, or trends or filmmakers that we're referencing but it certainly seems like a starting point it was like a sign of things to come because it was so uh, successful this movie was exactly huge. yeah and i think one of the things i i hate about this movie that it <laughs> started the trend of is the the global feel and like bringing in all of these characters and and all of these different locations and that's what feels very like michael bay like especially yes. later on and it's like when we when we look at the '70s to early '90s blockbusters, the only one off the top of my head that really does that, and, and even then it's reserved, is Close Encounters. Yes, and that does a very. And we're back to Spielberg. Spielberg, you know, makes this movie about aliens invading. What are they? Are they here for right. friendly purposes? Right. So he keeps that mystery alive. But it's also very grounded by having a main character, you know. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Richard Dreyfus is the main character. Roy, right? Right? Roy. Roy Neary. This, this Roy global Neary is... global conspiracy. Are these guys bad guys? Are they good guys? Are they up to something? And then the two movies come together, where our exactly. our hero, our simple. He's he is I think he's literally a cable repairman or an electrician or something like that. He it, you're right. Yeah, something he's, like he's that. He's an electrician. Yeah. He gets roped into this global conspiracy. The movies sort of meet and we're nervous for him and uh, I think it's Melinda Dillon, uh, Barry's mother, because we're like I don't know if these people are are bad guys yet. He very he smartly casts like Truffaut, who's like got a very sort of warm and so you, Bob Alabon. Yeah, you you yeah, hope like, they're good guys, but it's like we find out what they're doing at the same time that Roy Neary finds out what they're doing, which is great. Whereas in a Roland Emmerich movie, it's just people on phones sort of swapping exposition. Exactly. Like that, that's kind of yeah. to give a sense that this is a big epic movie, but it's not actually adding anything. Whereas Close yeah. Encounters, it's part of the mystery, like you said. Like what yeah, is what is happening? And there's only two movies, like you said. There's only yes. like two separate storylines, you know, so the audience knows a little bit more about what's going on from the Truffaut and Bob Alban storyline than Roy yes. does. But yeah, they merge together nicely. It keeps mystery going on and you're seeing a significant character arc with Roy. Yes. Whereas with, with movies like this, there are too many characters and it jumps from, and like you said, it's just basically exposition. They're just there to drive the plot along. They're not exactly. any characters that you're spending any time with that you're getting invested with. And they're typically just shallow, like, cliched examples of whatever profession they are. Yes. You know? So yes. so this one, it's like, it's sort of tame in the sense that I, I kind of feel like it's 
at the end of the day, the three central, I guess four if you threw in Randy Quaid. But it's yeah, but he's Smith. dead. He's dead at the end. He's, so he he's dead by the end. But oh, just meaning like the the ones that you're kind of sticking with the oh, whole sure, time sure, sure. that you're yes. like mostly. You're, yes. So so there's there's a lot of little subplots going on. But I guess at the from start to finish, I guess it's like the three central characters ish. Yeah. So so it keeps it somewhat grounded. But that that element, that idea of making a movie global and bringing in all of these different geographic locations and characters, I think that was something that a lot of people glommed onto as a reason for Independence Day's success, which it may have been when that first movie came out, because some mainstream audiences might have said, you know, that was kind of neat to sure. see, like, like the scale and the scope and how significant this invasion was. But right. but then as, as these movies kept going and kept going, like, that idea got worse and worse and worse and then you're just losing any sense of grounded characters green text across the across the screen as we go to a different installation this one's in new mexico this one's in moscow and of course it's you know this is a world where every other country is is like a stereotype version of exactly so there's a scene in africa and it's all tribal you know, there are cities, there are cities in Africa. <laughs> but in Independence Day world, Africa is still uh, people living amongst the grass. You know, everyone in Iraq lives in a tent. Like, right. pretty, yeah. Yeah. pretty, in high, you know, pretty insulting, kind of like those, those like, throwaway, harmless, racist stereotypes of, like, you know, there are no other, no other countries have cities except for America and, and parts of Europe. So, again, works as a little kid when you maybe don't know anything. Yeah, I think it, it gives the false impression that... Because we see these other countries, but there are no characters to associate with. Like, there, there is no... Char- and as his movies got bigger, that became a thing, that every sort of country had a character. Like, 2012, every sort of global location has a set of characters that have a little, mm. have a little arc. It's still bad, but maybe he thought, oh, I should, you, you can't just cut to... Bedouins in the <laughs> desert and be like, all right, there you go. Now you know that they're like, it's just very, uh, really that the alien ship in Iraq should have been over Baghdad because Baghdad's a major city. Correct. But, <laughs> but in Roland Emmerich world, Iraq's just a desert. <laughs> it's yeah, just it's Lawrence like, of Arabia land. You know what I mean? Like he just thinks of it in such a childish way. Africa, yeah. they're, not, they're not over Lagos or Cape Town. It's just the Lion King. Like it's a very dumbed down I think uh, that maybe works in 1996 when the world is kind of a little less connected. But I mean, it's still to the same. They, there's this running thing of like that you when and when big movies go to different countries, like there's always that color filter for certain countries, mm-hmm. like little things like that. Like it, it's these big movies meant for American audiences, where every other country is like a almost like an alien planet. It's like very. I, I don't know if it started with Roland Emmerich or it's just kind of a result of that movies like this have to have a, a global scale. Yeah, and like you said, the imagery that is used is so childish, and I don't I don't think it's meant to relate to a child. I think it's his own childlike yes. understanding of the yes. world. Like like that's like that is how he views the Middle yes. East and Africa yes. and 
whatever Asian stereotypes were presented, I'm sure, in some of yeah. these as well. And it's, The British apparently are in charge when they go to the Middle East. It's it's a British RAF office. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like the 1930s still. Yeah, yeah exactly. Where, meanwhile, you have Arab pilots and Israeli pilots are just standing there silently while a British officer is like, well, here's what we're going to do. What, what? It's like, well, that's not how that part of the world works anymore. But again, in his childish mind, that's that's what you do in that scene. It's raining in Russia. they cut to russia and it's and the storm is blowing in china they're all in a bunker and they're all dressed in military like it's just it's so simplistic and it's Um, just so pointless too it's like yes because we know this is happening like all even if they just cut you could do a quick shot where you just cut to all of the different ufos over these major landmarks and even then if they showed if you really wanted to or a simple line of dialogue saying yep Mr. President, we've heard from world leaders from right. 17 other countries, and they are all saying the same things. Like, we, the, the fact that he doesn't trust the audience to, to know that this is a global concern and to make it part of the story just to, like, change up the scenery and try to make it feel more epic than it is it, it, yeah. it makes it it makes it smaller when it's trying to make it bigger it's why the movie's so sort of in hindsight when you watch it as an older person it's like it's so pandering and condescending but exactly. unlike a michael bay movie like michael bay does that because he thinks you're stupid Ron yeah. Emmerich yep. Yep. does it because he thinks like like he's like well i'm stupid and you're we're both stupid. we're all stupid <laughs> like it's it, again it's so much more earnest it's like I genuinely think like this, and I'm sure the movie audiences will too. As opposed to Michael Bay, who's like, "Fuck those cows!" <laughs> like I don't like. Let's just let's just get it over with. It's it's so much more. Um, it's a little less insulting. It's still very insulting. I'm sure. I'm sure people from those countries. I don't. I don't have any anecdotal evidence to back this up, but I'm sure it can be frustrating. You're watching the big American movie. You get excited when you see something that you recognize from your country, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh God!" Like. Really? Of course, that's how Hollywood views us. Look at even later Spielberg, right? Uh, War of Mm. the Worlds. Not not a great movie. However, it's focused. It's an alien invasion movie that never leaves Tom Cruise's family. Yes. Um, Even within America. Yes, it's just sort of upstate New York, Pennsylvania. Like, it's just the back roads between... Is it Queens where he lives? Or no, New, Jer- I think New Jersey. So. He's in New Jersey. It's like New Jersey yeah. to Boston, but it's all like just his journey. Smart. That's the correct way to do it. Yeah. Again, like that like, worked. That worked well. Yeah. Again, like you said, not a great movie, but it's mm-hmm. Spielberg. Even in Spielberg's hands, a movie like that, it's still so much more compelling. One of Spielberg's lesser movies is ten times better than Roland Emmerich's best movie. Correct. And correct. it's because Spielberg, he has this thing that other directors who try so hard. I mean, James Cameron, Robert Zemeckis, there's a whole subgenre of perfectly talented filmmakers who their whole goal is, I just want to be like Spielberg, but there is only one Steven Spielberg. Love him or hate him for all his faults, whatever. Like he knows exactly how to make a movie like this and other directors just don't. They routinely stumble. They routinely get, that one thing they get it run and it, and it doesn't work. Whereas he can just be like, I know, I know what to do. We keep it focused on because that's what war the, the the novel, the war in the world, which is like sort of the inventor of alien invasion stories. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't span the world. It's just one guy kind of making his way across England, and you get hints of what's going on in the rest of the country and then outside in in Europe. But like a global alien invasion 
movie like doesn't quite work. They they made a mini series recently called War of the Worlds that is much better written. It's like much more intelligent than Independence Day, but it has the same problem. It has these cliched stories all across the world and it's like I don't really care like I don't care about this as much as the people who made this think I do. I don't care about the estranged father and the bickering sisters. Like I don't pick a story and stay focused. Any one of these three sort of stories in Independence Day would have made a perfectly good movie. You could have followed any one of these characters and that that's a movie. But it's this idea that we made a big epic special important event uh, event movie. And it's bloated too. That's an, uh, the runtime is because I, I watched it a few months ago for the first time in a long time. Primarily, and this will be my segue into this. Primarily because I, out of curiosity, wanted to see Independence Day Resurgence because I yes. kept hearing that it's how interesting it was, and it and it was. Um, but it was like it's almost two and a half hours long. It's like two hours and twenty minutes long. That's that's it. It should have been an hour and forty five minutes, and Again, it should have been one or two characters that when that we've discussed. When you watch it on TV in between commercials and you're at a cookout or you're at a sleepover mm-hmm. like you don't notice that it's that long you're just like you know you, you don't have a sense of how long a movie is on television because it's edited and but yeah it's it's one thing to and then to have to sit down and watch it and it's like the, and i'm sure that's different from i'm sure the movie worked better in a theater too you know you sure. go in you go in that weekend in 96 and you're like oh that was great that was so much fun but yeah, it's way too long way 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 too too long as as iconic and famous as the randy quaid subplot is that's one of the first things you can just cut out oh my god absolutely it has i mean yes he saves the day but i mean he has no interaction with any of the other probably because maybe randy they needed to keep him isolated and away from all the professional (laughs) they had to film him on his own maybe he was crazy even then but i mean he just has he has no effect on the story until the absolute last minute when his he 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 uh, blows up the mothership easily cuttable that could have been will smith's character that could have been the president i don't know it could have been who knows who it could have been but like yeah there's so many there's so much fat and all all of emmerich's movies are like that all of his movies are way too long there's always at least 30 minutes that are like well that should that shouldn't even be in here that should the beach stuff in the patriot when they all hide out on the coast of north carolina or like every one of his movies has a whole stretch where it's like why didn't you cut this and yeah so you so you watched it and then did you watch resurgence like the of, next day yeah yeah and I, <laughs> i'm almost curious to see like how that experience is because i watched Resur- i wanted to see independent i saw independence day resurgence uh in a theater <laughs> to my to my eternal shame uh, because I was like, again, I, by then I knew like it, Independence Day isn't a good movie, but it's, it's I really love it. I it's such I grew up with it. Basically, I want to see the sequel. I did enjoy the sequel. I enjoy Independence so, Day. Resurgence. Yeah, when I saw the trailer for it, and when it was you know when I first heard it was in development, it was like right in that peak of like bringing back every single movie. You know, it was like yes. it was 2016, so it was exactly 20 years later. So it was like after Jurassic World and Force Awakens and, you know, even yes. like Star Trek and James Bond and all that. So it just felt like that it was a cash grab. Bottom of but, the barrel. Independent. Bottom, bottom of the barrel. <laughs> because, but like you said, you know, this movie was very successful and they did not do the you know immediate sequels or like even direct to dvd like i'm thinking of like the starship trooper troopers yeah. um there's no cartoon you know, they didn't, they didn't like, do anything that. like that yeah they they avoided right even men in black had a cartoon and, and sequels yeah. shortly after 
Um, but this one avoided all of that. You know, when I saw it, it was just the ultimate eye roll, like like you said, bottom of the barrel, like, wow, they're, they're bringing this back just because Jeff Goldblum is, like, almost having a, you know, people wanted him in the Jurassic World sequels, which now they're finally getting, and, you know, he had almost, like, a little mini-career resurgence, and uh, but it was just, like, such a head-scratcher. Then when I watched it, that movie had to be made. Of course they made that movie. Like, they made... They they sold it by continuing to say, like, yeah, so we, like, saved the day, but we didn't exterminate yeah. this entire alien race, and they're no. pissed. So a, cla- a classic sequel setup. A classic yeah. setup. Yeah. Old school 80s, 90s sequel setup. You thought exactly. it was over, but it's not. Like, really sort of very simple. We didn't really win. Which exactly. people don't make sequels like that anymore. It's all part of an ongoing like saga. It's the same. Yes. It is a classic example of it is the exact same thing, but different. It's the Aliens yeah. model. We made the it's same movie enough. again. Yeah, and it, I mean, it goes full schlock. I think that's why it works for some people that Correct. don't even like the first one. Because it's just it embraces the fact that this is completely ridiculous. Completely right. over the top. We're in full sort of sci-fi... This this has, this has nothing to do with reality. I think the right. charm of an alien invasion movie is like, oh, you're living your normal life, aliens. That, I think, is why the first act of Independence Day is good. Resurgence is just, we have a space force, there's a base on the moon, like, everything is just over the top right from the start. It, it is over the top, and that's why I said earlier that it <clears> feels <throat> like that this sequel almost felt like it was almost earned, because they yes. at least had a take, and the take was... So this alien invasion happened. Like, that is going to change society. Exactly, yes. And they incorporated that actually very well, like using the alien weaponry to make their own weapons and what are we going to do to prepare for this again. And it it dialed back on that globalness and having too many... There are still too many characters and too many storylines, but they all are kind of connected. And it's I'm really just thinking of three off the top of my head... You know everything that's going on on like the moon base with the young young recruits, Will Smith's son, and yeah, and the, but they um, also have they have conflicts that like they have those characters have like a past, and so it's, it's awkward that they all get lumped into one situation. So it does work a little. The, the characters coming together does work a little better. It does. Be- it does because yeah. because they have their own drama that they're bringing. They they still kind of do the different parts of the world, but it just is so. Um, I don't know why it works in this and doesn't work in the first one, but there, it it, just, it, for for some reason, it just it doesn't feel quite so. Fr- I mean, I think it helps that the this time the aliens are. What, what's the line? It's uh, landed in the Atlantic. What part? All of it. Like it's yeah, it's like yeah. half the world. Like so, you kind of have to include the world yeah. in the movie because the ship is so big, but. I think it stays a lot more focused for the characters. It does. And it does interesting things with what would these people do? And of course, Judd Hirsch writes a book. (laughs) He tries to cash in on this thing. Jeff Goldblum becomes, he's an underachiever. He is the head of the space division. Like he is, for all intents and purposes, the smartest man in the world now. Will Smith's character was such a hero that his son kind of feels the pressure. Like it all kind of made sense. Where they decided to situate every character was like, oh, this actually, they they put some, like you said, they put some thought into this, surprisingly. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but it contains one of the most tasteful 
big Hollywood attempts at a same-sex relationship that works and isn't incredibly insulting and tone-deaf. Like, that's, that's, that's incredible. You have to watch Independence, Independence Day Resurgence. Day Resurgence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that nobody even saw. Yeah, and I no. think the reason the the reason the same sex storyline works so well is because they're not ashamed of it. They they just embrace it and they make yeah. it. It's just there. There isn't any pomp and circumstance about it. No, it's just a storyline that's immediately inserted. There's no tipping, uh, dipping their toes in the water. There's no being cutesy about it. It's just there. It's two and men. It, they've been together forever. Brent Spiner's character from the first movie is in a coma, and his although that was stupid. That is <laughs> that was stupid that he wasn't dead. <laughs> I know. I think it's because they realize again. I think it has to do with the fact that at the time they made it, they were like, "Oh, people love Brent Spiner." I think a lot for a long time people didn't know that that was Brent Spiner in the first mm-hmm. movie because everyone knows him as Data and here he is with the beard and the the whole hippie thing going on. But yeah, it's just I don't know if it's his husband or boyfriend or or you know life partner. It's just sort of taking care of him, has been looking after him for for all these years, and like it's it's just so like I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's just so tastefully done <laughs> it, it really is it's and it's from it, uh, you know from one that, of the most tasteless directors yeah i think i he he is in his personal he is gay so he probably is like well i know what a what a long-term relationship i it's not gonna be like maybe he knows how to do it in a way that's not insulting but it's like that's such an indictment of how modern blockbusters deal with this stuff is that Independence Day Resurgence is the example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that... A lot more attention to character. Yes. Uh, whether it's that example or just the main characters and how they all align at the end, what the world looks like, what society looks like. But like you said, similarly, the first act or so is the best when it's introducing you to all of this stuff. And then it sort of just becomes boring action schlock. And, yes. you know, like, yes. CGI is, like, overdone. So, yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say that... Emmerich and in, in the film is is self aware, but it also doesn't it doesn't feel like it's as important. Like yes. like the ninety six movie felt like it's like this is an important blockbuster. We are yeah. like making a Spielberg esque epic, you know, for this summer. This one just felt like let's have a fun science fiction movie that like returns to this world and these characters. We haven't gone back there. We easily could have in ninety eight ninety nine, right? And and we didn't. So let's put a little effort in. We made in Godzilla instead. Yeah, we, we made the awful Godzilla movie instead. But yeah, so I surprisingly liked it. I mean, when again, like I said, when I saw the previous show, I had absolutely no interest. But I kept hearing, like, this is actually not that bad. And Good. I gave it a try. And I, I liked it a lot more than I thought yeah. I would. Um, I mean, to be clear, it's also a terrible movie. But it's just, yeah. I, I think I, I, I know a lot of people that enjoy it that don't like the first one. And really enjoy the second one, it's and a lot of and a lot of fans of the first one also enjoyed the second. Like it worked. It it was no one saw it, like you said, but the people who did seem to react positively to it, which is a surprise considering how like such a hackneyed idea it was. Right. the The truth is the the first one is probably the better movie. Yes. But when you take into account expectations and audience perception, I think that's what makes me almost want to give it to resurrect uh resurgent resurrect whatever our whatever <laughs> are yeah return revenge regurgitation rise, regurgitation resurrection um, just call it yeah. independence day 2 I'm independence day 2 id id42 id42 
ID four squared. ID four two and three D. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I, I was I was impressed. And if they made they left it open for a sequel, I I'd be on. I I would see it. I would certainly watch oh, it if they make a third yes, to, to resurgence. If they made a third film, yeah. but I, I mean, think the, this one are, underperformed. These are dumb films. Uh, they're pretty harmless. In if you ignore the fact that they are the first movie is the beginning of the end for quality blockbusters. As a rule, there are obviously, you know, Mad Max Fury Road is an exception, but sure. that is a, that is an exception <laughs> that, that, that movie and that movie did not make as much money as other movies. Other big movies made more money that summer. That, yeah, that was the Jurassic World summer, right? E- exactly, and Jurassic World is is not as good as Mad Max Fury Road, but that's the one right. that people flock to. Not a surprise at all, because Jurassic World is a crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. and also a pretty good movie. But yeah, it's um with the, with Fourth of July coming up, I will be watching it again as I always do. Oh, right along with you watch the uh, John Adams Independence episode, right? I watch the John tradition. Adams Independence episode. I might have a harder time. I've had a harder time watching that one lately. <laughs> <laughs> Fair but enough. I also try to get in a Planet of the Apes viewing, um, just because I first saw that on a Fourth of July weekend, so it's become linked with it in my mind. Statue a- of Liberty. I think AMC did a marathon as like kind of like a sick joke, like Happy Independence Day. Here's a movie <laughs> about how America collapsed. Yeah, no, it's it's def- Independence Day, like you said, the John Adams Independence episode, 1776. Planet of the Apes. This is a this is my go to Fourth of July movie marathon. That might have to be a separate podcast. Did I tell you I watched Seventeen Seventy Six for the first time? A couple oh my ago? goodness! Yeah, so now, it's, oh, now it's five I, of us. <laughs> I loved it. I ah, loved it. Now yeah. it's five of us. Eventually, yeah, <laughs> this movie will have more fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, um, we will. Very good. Maybe we will have to do a separate podcast on Seventeen Seventy Six. That That'll be nope. the least listened to episode. <laughs> that no one will listen to. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's Independence Day. I recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. I would just keep in mind, it's one of the best, most famous, most highly regarded, terrible movies ever made. Yes. I would recommend watching it, as Danny said, uh, passively in the background yeah. during the barbecue. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, happy 4th, everyone. Happy 4th. Thanks for listening. I don't want to sell your death sticks. I don't want to sell your death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink.